Welcome to the Courage to Lead interview series for leaders who empower others to create supportive and inclusive workplaces where people can do their absolute best. Each week I will interview a leader who epitomizes the ability to empower others to lead and create amazing workplaces, environments and communities because of that skill. In these interviews I try as much as possible to let our guests do all the talking as they are the stars and not me. I trust you enjoy the lessons and wisdoms each guest shares, and if you're like me, listen to the interviews a number of times to capture some of the true gems of leadership we hear each week. I have a confession to make. I think I fall in love with every guest on the Courage to Lead interview series, as each guest has some absolute gems of leadership to share with us. This next guest is no exception. Would you like to hear about a leader who doesn't consider themselves to be a leader at all. Would you like to hear about a leader who has created a community where people have the trust to share their deepest fears and vulnerabilities with each other and at the same time genuinely support and celebrate the successes of each person within that community when they succeed in doing something that they did not think they were capable of doing. This is the story of Kelly Irving. Kelly has created the Expert Author Academy which consists predominantly of people who have never written a non-fiction book before, but because of Kelly's support and the community she has created, all of these people go on to become authors, sharing their stories with the world. Some of the leadership gems that Kelly shares throughout this interview include, we learn through osmosis by doing it. We have to get out of our comfort zone in order to push ourselves to ultimately better ourselves. Kelly Irving doesn't have all the answers, but is testing and trying things within the community all of the time. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Success is an organic thing from working with people and listening to what their needs are. And rather than strive for perfection, why don't we improve 1% every day? I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. I absolutely love doing this one. So welcome to the Courage to Lead interview series today. I'm someone I think the absolute world of, so I'm probably a little bit biased um, about her, but uh, Kelly Irving from Kelly, the Expert Author Academy. Um, she is quite an amazing person that set up this, this, I don't know what you call it, community, I suppose, and this is why I've asked her to be on the the Courage to Lead, because the Courage to Lead interview series is about identifying leaders who empower others to create supportive and inclusive either workplaces, um, environments or communities. So that kind of sums you up. You, you've, you've set up this community of normally most of us are first time authors that are, are pretty hopeless at <laughs> what we're trying to say. Um, and you seem to have this knack of making us feel safe. Um, you empower us to have a go, you empower us to support each other, and that's why you're on the show. So um, it's kind of wow. pretty, it's pretty special what you do, and I don't think you have any idea really the impact you have on us as authors. And then because you let us have a go at um, sharing what we want to say, uh, you know, it's obvious in, some of, uh, in a lot of the books that are out there that you've helped um, publish that you're creating a difference in so many people's lives because that author's been game enough to share what they want to say. So how's that? How's that? <laughs> I'm completely humbled by that. 
that that's going to be used as my book blurb. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. No, it's um, you're a pretty special person. So, so let's get straight into it. Um, every guest that comes onto the show has two questions that just kind of a bit of a they're a bit of an icebreaker. They get they get us set up for for the rest of the show. So the first question is because um, this is a leadership show and you do lead us all as authors. So what was your first ever true experience as a leader uh, at true leadership? And that can be um, either as a child or yesterday or anywhere in between. It's so funny, Alan, when you when you kind of pose this question because you have to think about it. And actually, you know what? I don't actually think that I have a standout memory or moment of true leadership. However, I can think about four or five cases of like the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is, you know, is quite quite interesting when I when I dig into this because yeah, I, I feel like, you know, my first case of someone who showed, you know, no no real leadership traits was, you know, when I was back working, like my first ever job, you know, working in Virgin Megastore. Um, and there's there's cases that I can see through my working life of people that I really identified, mm, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> um, and and yet the people that who stand out to me when I think about it a bit more in terms of true leadership have always been people who haven't necessarily taken the forefront in a leadership role. So uh like a a woman that i worked really closely with she was my my manager my boss um when i worked in uh in the education space but you know she was so humble she would never really say that she was in a leadership position she didn't want to be in the leader leadership team um and when i think about especially with the work that i do now because i work with so many leaders um and you know one of the things that people will always say to me is you know what well uh you know you must be working with people with a lot of ego mm. you know, because they're really high up in their roles and they're running these big teams and all of this kind of stuff and i'm like you know i've never ever worked with anyone with any kind of ego um and i feel like that is the leadership trait for me it's like being able to be uh humility it's that humility kind of thing being humble being um and having a humility in what you're doing it's like whenever i work with anyone that i work with uh you know they're they're leaders in my eyes and they're running you know massive teams some of them and you know look at yourself alan and everything that you've done in your career like i haven't come close to any of that stuff but they, you know, you, you turn up and you're ready and willing to learn. Yeah. And there's a, it, and it's different to your kind of stock standard view on leadership, which is, you know, one person leading from the front, from the forefront. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting because all the cases of leadership for me in the past that I would label as, you know, really uninspiring leadership. Yeah. Um, has been more of a dominance on them as a, as a one person the hierarchical person in front. And yet the people that stand out for me um, are really humble, have a real deep sense of humility. And uh, I think you demonstrate this really well, Alan. It's about empowering the other people around them. Um, it's not really about them. 
That's a very nice thing to say. So, <laughs> but, uh, thank you. It's quite often, um, Kelly, that a number of guests on the show have actually gone to the opposite of what what doesn't, you know, what is not leadership. Um, so it's very, uh, and it's quite, um, it's becoming quite a sought after thing in leadership nowadays, in leadership circles, that people want a leader who is uh, vulnerable, who is um, authentic and has a level of humility. So I think that's a pretty good answer. So thank you for starting with that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's go to the second question is, what what's, is something about Kelly Irving that no one knows? Oh, this is a tough one. Um, I used to play the violin. It's <laughs> 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 something I keep under wraps. Well, yeah, but it's something I wish I'd kept up now. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and I've always had rabbits as, as a child. Oh, I wow. Always, okay. Yeah, pet rabbits was always. So I have a little bit of a soft spot for rabbits. <laughs> yeah. Have you still got them? No, yeah. <laughs> and it probably wouldn't be something I'd get now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I always had them as a as a kid. In fact, I probably, you know, strange being where you're at now. I probably, when I was a kid, wanted to be a vet or something. Where you know, working with animals or something in some capacity. Okay, well, that's a really good segue into what the interview is about now. Then, so from here, like we've asked the two kind of icebreaker questions to just to set the scene a little bit. Um, but this interview is really all about you, and I've kind of set a bit of a, uh, I hope I haven't embarrassed you, you know, the impact you're having on the people around you as this amazing uh, person who leads authors to create, to write their first book, to get out of their comfort zone, and then share those books with the rest of the world. Um, how does this happen? How does, how does Kelly Irving, that you are now, get created you know, where did that come from? Um, how do you, you obviously had, you would, and this is what we're going to learn about, you obviously had skills that you wanted to be a vet nurse or a vet initially, and then you changed into this powerhouse of an editor that um, uh, on, your, on your book blurb says, you know, this is pretty, and then I brag about this to everyone that I talk about with you too, every author that you pitch um, since the book one gets, gets a gig. <laughs> uh, so so how does this happen I'm in your hands off you go um I think like most people I've actually got a very varied career so I've I've probably always worked in publishing if I think about it now in some kind of aspect but you know I traveled a lot you know when I was in my early 20s and I worked at a record store and even now if I think about traits then I was doing a lot of proofreading of and a lot of, you know, typographical kind of things with uh, with the CD covers and DVD covers and stuff like that. Mm. So if you trace it back, I think I've always been really great with English, right? Like, you know, you're either like an English person or a maths person. Yeah, yeah. Words for me, it's like my I can attribute that to my mum and my dad. My mum was always a words person and my dad is an engineer and he's the <laughs> math person. But yeah. for me, uh, words was always my thing. And, you know, I, can, I remember going to the library a hell of a lot with my mum, you know, when I was younger. Um, so I sort of flourished, I guess, with English. Um, but, you know, like most people in my teenage years, yeah, just did a whole lot of random stuff. But I've always read voraciously, like... 
you know, reading 52 books as some people choose to do in a year sometimes. Like I, I could chew through that easily in half the year. Yeah. Um, reading really is, you know, something that I love doing. Um, and then I guess the, 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 interestingly, I think the closely related thing to uh, what probably has got me to where I am is I worked in education for, for a stint and I used to work on uh, with the subject matter experts to develop our MBA program materials. So it was really getting inside that subject matter experts head who is obviously an academic first and foremost. So actually taking that knowledge and expertise and turning that into material somebody else could not just read but use and apply, uh, you know, making it practical, not just theory-based. Um, and I think that's probably more closely related to, to what I do now. So I sort of transfer. So I think what's kind of different about me when you think about the writing field is most, most people want to be writers and then they level up and become an editor, whereas I've always done the opposite. So I'd actually say I was an editor first. Um, and I used to edit a hell of a lot of stuff, but then I discovered I could actually write as well. Um, and that sort of took me down the, the journalism kind of field. And I worked in specifically in travel for, for quite a few years. Um, and so combining those two skills, I think what the pivotal moment for me was I used to work in a co-working space and um, someone uh, put up on on online on Yammer, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book um, and I really need some help. Is there anyone that can help? And I sort of looked at it and I was like, well, I know how to, I know how to write, I know how to edit, and I know what it takes to create long form pieces of writing, like study materials and guides and that kind of stuff. So I reckon I could do that. So I stuck yeah. up my hand and um, her name was Gabrielle Dolan. So she's actually my first and my longest service client I've worked with her on like seven books now yeah she um I helped her write the book and then she went on to have an opportunity um to pitch it to a publisher and I thought I can do that so I put together a pitch and helped her pitch it and it got picked up by John Wiley yeah. um, and then it sort of went gangbusters from there because publishers started finding out about what I did with people and would start bringing me in to help other authors and stuff like that. So um, I remember one day when we, we moved out of the city and uh, it was not long after my um, having my first son and uh, I was still sort of doing these long form pieces, helping people with books and then doing corporate work and doing articles. And I thought, I wonder, you know, I wonder what would happen if I just told people I was just doing books. And my husband put up like like redesign put up a, a one-page website for me and it just went mental <laughs> i kind of haven't looked back from there wow <laughs> that's what i love about um and with, with, uh, i never know where these interviews are going to go but it's like you share with us in the expert author academy um your home life and all that kind of stuff and I, what i love about your story is, is it's obviously everyone's involved uh, he helped. He helped. Like I didn't know that he helped you with your website creation. He helps you with your office creation. Even yeah. build. Even building in the background sometimes. So it's um. Yeah, my yeah. husband's really involved. In actual fact, uh, 
so he's always been in startups. He's always had his own company. And at a time when Samson was young, we, you know, and I started this venture and he still had his ventures. And we used to wonder, you know, what would happen if we actually joined forces and we had one focus? Because, yeah. you know, as you know, you're juggling multiple things with a young family, that kind of stuff. And so we we put up a Venn diagram one day on a whiteboard with us, my skills on one side, his skills on the other, and then the overlap. And we sort of had it in mind. And then, yeah, just organically, it's kind of happened that we work together now. It's just that he sort of came over to, to my side, to the dark side, as yeah. opposed to the other way around. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty beautiful... Um, like one of the, I forget which, uh, Rebecca Pinkstone in one of the interviews, actually, she talks about, you know, how how a husband and wife, how partners in a, in a relationship um, combine what needs to happen to make the family work optimally and, and their own skills. So it's um, it's becoming more and more a thing. And it's uh, that's what I love about this uh, interview series is that it actually is starting to share um, uh, equal partners and gender equality in the home. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. It's something we talk a lot about. And in actual fact, you know, I sometimes wonder because Cam has a hat in so many roles, but in a lot of ways, he is my coach. He allows me be who I am. He allows me to, to show up and share for other people. If I didn't have him on the other side, having being able to talk through things or him noticing things or even just pointing out people really resonated with that or yeah. was really good with that and that kind of stuff and having that direct feedback. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I never set out to work with my husband for sure, but for us it just works. And I reckon definitely there's more and more people that that's, that's, um, that, that's happening with these days. Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty um, – and, and I can just tell from the joy on your face, um, it's a pretty – enriching thing to be to have in your life yeah well I think you you've talked about this I I can't remember which podcast of yours it was on but yeah a, a key to all this is like you got to have fun yes I, and especially in a work client I think I see this with writing all the time it's like we make it a chore especially if we don't think you know going back to talking about you know the people I work with like people in these really you know, high up leadership positions or have done things like, you know, way out of out of my scope. Like Peter um, Scott in, in the in the submarine. Writing, <laughs> it's the thing that undoes you, you know? Yes. It's yes. like this fear around it and it becomes a chore and it's really hard. And I think for me a big part of that and my learning from working with so many people is it's got to be fun. It's got to yes. Yes, it's going to be challenging, but you've got to want to show up because the more that you want to show up, the more you do it, and the more you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think um, I mean, so so many uh, of the interviews on the Courage Lead have had that. You know that that's a kind of a core section in most of the interviews, but um, the most recent one with Matthew Elliott said mm. uh, one of his um, final quotes was, "If if you want to be really good at something, you have to love doing it." Mm. And I think that's and that's obvious. Um, uh, you know, I don't. I have. I still haven't ventured into video interviews for the courage to leave. But I'll just describe. You're 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 so happy um, and, and vibrant, and um, and I'd say almost you know, proud to share what your life is. Um, not in a bad way. Not in an egocentric way, but in a giving 
this is a wonderful life that I'm living with my husband uh, in our in our in our work. Um, and why isn't everyone doing it really? <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure. Um, I'm sure uh, one of the questions I asked uh, Paul Watkins, one of your other people, um, yes. was that yeah, he, I asked him, um, so what score would your wife give you as a stay-at-home husband and a contributor to the house? And oh, she, good she, question. She, she wouldn't give him score. She wouldn't do it. <laughs> so, some, sometimes you fail, sometimes you don't, <laughs> which is part of the fun of it. Let me just take you a little bit further because I don't think your story's finished yet. So you started off with... Um, with the lady Gabriel Dolan, um, and that was your first person that you helped write a book, and seven books later, um, and then you, you started your website. So how many books have you um, helped publish? Oh, look, it's hard to say because I've worked on them in different ways. Like some of them I've worked from, you know, right at the start through to right at the end, and then others I've just had some, you know, like I've done a one-off session and had input in. Uh, but I've definitely worked with over a hundred people and worked wow. on books. Um, yeah, and that's probably in um, twenty twelve or twenty eleven or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I, and I think that's. I was talking with um, actually some of the people in our community, Alan, recently, and it's it's. I think that's kind of part of it. Is like you're always learning and you're always um you're always taking what you do and implementing it to make improvements for mm -hmm. other people you know gabrielle is a really good example because you know, i've worked with her on so many different books and in in so many different iterations of people you know when you think about a traditionally trained editor like i know other editors in my field are like but how can you work on so many books? Because you're so focused yeah. on 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 one on one piece on one author. So a lot of people find it really hard swapping context. But I actually think that's one of my super skills is being able to really be diligent and be focused on someone. And when I finish that, it's I'm, I move on. I swap context and I'm yeah. thinking about someone else and their book and their unique situation. Um, for other editors, they can find it really hard to swap those contexts. Whereas for me, it's interesting. It's almost like the more people that I work with, the more I see similarities. Yeah. Or I can pull threads from those similarities and see patterns. A lot of it is about just seeing patterns. Yeah. And then a big part of that, I think, is, and this is why I think our community works so well, it's not just about me, it's actually about all of those threads and learning from the other people who have been in the situa same situation as you. Yeah. So I think in the past, people have kind of seen me as the teacher, you know, like the lead role that you go to for help, but actually, and this is what I love, you know, about our group now, like someone could put up a question in there and tell me what I would have said, um, or if not more in given context to it. So I think there's, um, you know, with working with a lot of people, really sort of see the similar threads and draw those out and then use that as an opportunity for other people. I think that's a big part of creating an environment for people to thrive. Yeah, and that's, um, God, uh, you, you say you're not a leader because yeah, you, don't, you don't lead anyone, but all, all those things, creating an environment, 
creating connections, seeing the threads, and probably creating the environment where the community feels confident enough to support the other person. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's that's kind of get, gets back to what the courage to lead is all about. A person, a leader who empowers others to pro, to create a supportive and inclusive workplace environment or community. You're just <laughs> describing it. You're describing it down to a T. I promise I didn't read that anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I love about it. These interviews are not pre-scripted at all. Um, but leaders such as yourself, it's just in your brain. And that's how you live your life. That's why it's, that's why it works, because it's so, so authentic. So 100 books, that's quite amazing. Which books, say, uh, in the top five that you can think of have sold the most? Um, I don't know if I would know that, especially, yeah, it's really hard to judge books by their sales numbers these days. Um, like I could say... You know, like, I think you've had David Knopf on, haven't you? Yeah, like, I yeah. definitely say his has been pretty successful over the last, you know, year it's been out. Yeah. Um, but I don't actually know what, it's really hard to get current data on. Okay. Numbers, but, but I will say this as well, because I think this is, this is a really big thing for me. And this, this might be something that, you know, you talk about, Alan. Um, what does success mean for you? So I think most people do tend to go to the numbers of book sales and that for me doesn't deem, and I know this wasn't your question or where you were no. going with it, but I think it's an important thing to to, to talk about. Um, how many copies you sell of a book doesn't necessarily make it successful. Yes. <laughs> Which yeah. is why, you know, you know, you know, when we start the process, actually understanding your personal purpose and why yeah. you want to do a book is so crucial because what you deem successful is going to be really different from what someone else thinks yes. is successful and some people will want to sell just truckloads of numbers of books and that's what they're going to deem their success by but for other people uh, and most people it's broader than that or about launching their platform or you know even just connecting with one other person who's really going yes. to yes that is going to change their life. Like yes. there are different metrics of success. And um, so, you know, as you would know, when we work through the process, I think you have to get really clear on that. Your purpose, your why, what you deem is a, is a good result and successful. So for some people, it's just literally a case of if I finish and publish this book, um, I'll be happy. <laughs> it's, a, um, it's a successful for me. Yeah, yeah. So I think... Um, you answered that really well because I kind of knew that num sales numbers wasn't the issue. <laughs> so, um, uh, but when, when when you look at uh, and again we're not we're not visual on this audio, but Kelly's uh, sitting in this in her office and behind her is this myriad of 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 very well known books. Where as I look at them behind you, um, some pr pretty special authors that you've had as guests on your Expert Author, Author Academy to share. Their experiences with the rest of us on how we get there. So, um, and I think that's the, that's the special part about it. So let's. Um, it's interesting. Uh, a number of our guests on the show have started in education. So it's interesting what education. Oh really? Yeah. Huh. yeah and funny. the uh, uh, some of them are um, major event uh, leaders. Yeah, major yeah. special event leaders, and 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 what they learnt from that. Um, 
And, I, and kind of this is what I love about this. Like, as you go into that, like I, I, I was in education for stint. I, I helped subject matter experts as they as they were um, doing their courses around an MBA, um, turning that material into usable, readable and applicable stuff. So often in, in the police, we would say, Sometimes academics weren't all that smart. <laughs> yeah, they, weren't, they, they didn't have that much. They didn't have that much common sense. Some of them, not all of them. That's a, that's a pretty bad statement to make. But you, you know what I mean. Can you give a story there where, where it's obvious you're hands-on. It's obviously common sense. You've had the grounding through your mum and your dad of living the English world and the and the math world. Can you give an example in your education stint where you met someone? That was doing their MBA and you had to convert it into a course where it was just um, you were worlds apart and how did you get how did you get there? I don't know about in the education space, but I could talk about one of probably my most difficult books. Yeah, go for <laughs> it. I'm, we're totally in your hands, but it's it's interesting. Um, you've told us essentially how you were made, like the education, journalism, um, travel, travel uh, journalist. And then you some of the study material guide. So let's go into that. What um, what was your most difficult book, and how did you get there? Yeah, well, first of all, just to address that because it is funny. Sometimes I feel funny when I talk about my background because they're so they seem so like worlds apart. Travel writing and working with academics to turn materials into you know learning materials like they they seem worlds apart. But there's something I think in, and that's the beauty of writing, is it's got to be useful, it's got to be somehow practical, it's got to be insightful, but also there needs to be a narrative. And I think that's definitely, you know, what I've learned from travel writing, lifestyle writing, things like that. And we talked about this in a coaching session, I think, last week. You know, even these forms of writing what you actually learn to understand is that there's a formula behind it. Um, and that's why, you know, a big part of my work is so focused on structure. Because when you get the structure right, the words will follow. Yeah. Words can always be fixed up, but we actually want to go to a deeper level. We want to go to those thoughts, those ideas, that kind of stuff first. And I think, I think we gloss over that because we think of writing as in the craft of writing, putting a good sentence together. But anybody can help, you know, you fix up typos and, and you know, you've got online apps and programs that can do that. But it's really the deeper level and the abstract kind of stuff, I think, where all the value is. And you need to be able to, you know, if you go back to the fun thing, a big part of it is still you've got to be able to entertain people to keep them reading. Yeah. It doesn't mean you need to make them laugh or cry or overdo it, but that narrative arc even in non-fiction writing even if you're writing on leadership even if you're writing on you know the driest topic you could think of you, you still got to lead someone you sometimes think of my different world and they seem worlds apart but I think there's yeah there's there's learnings and lessons from each of those worlds that you know you thread together to to lead people through and so it's interesting when I do think about something really challenging I mean my husband will say every time I take on a book I go inside and I go oh god if I can make this one work I'm going to be <laughs> efficient <laughs> he, will, he will actually say that I'll say that nearly on every book project but I do like early on when I started this and I was sort of really just 
developing, just starting to develop how to process. Um, there's a book that I worked on with Paul Broadfoot called Accelerate, and he's an innovation guy, really awesome guy to work with. You know, we had so much fun, but when he brought me, he's your classic. He's sort of one of the reasons why I do and started doing what I do. He had spent weeks, months, years working on this manuscript and kind of thought that, okay, now we'll take it to an editor and they'll fix up a few things. Yeah. And it was just, you know, a pile of words, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I remember saying to him, look, you could take this to someone who will just fix up, fix up the language and stuff like that um, and you can get it out there, but that's not going to be me. Like yeah. I can see what's in here. And if you really want to go to that next level and be challenged and work with me, I'll, I'll make it something, you know, I'll bring out the potential. And I remember when he signed on for the job, I definitely went into Cam and just went, oh, my God, I've got no idea what I'm going to do with this. That's this funny. is going to be so – and I remember, you know, everywhere I was just like, oh, my God, like what am I going to do with this? Am I going to be able to make – and you know what? I look back on that book, I, you know, and I'll, I know you can't see me, but I'll pick it up now. At least you can see it, Alan. Yeah. And every time I pick up this book and I go through it, I'm like, this is a cracking book. Yeah. Like it's such a good book. It, it's such a complex topic, but he, I could see where he was going with it and he had great case studies and he was kind of a bit ahead of his time. Um, in a lot of ways but I still pick up this book to these to this day and I'm like this is it's time like this is such a good book yeah I just wish people could have seen where he was when he first started to have that comparison I think that's always the hardest thing is being able to actually tangibly show people what someone starts with and where they end up at the end of it Uh. I like the, well, yeah, yeah. The, the transformation through that process is is pretty incredible. But I also remember from this book, and one, one reason why I like this story as well is, you know, in talking about our community. So he, he's, his whole thing with the innovation is looking at business models. And so part of that work and, you know, one reason why I love what I'm doing is I'm always learning from the person that I'm working yeah. with. Yeah. And I'm putting stuff back into place as I'm working on it and yeah. I'm thinking about things and I'm practically applying it and like you know you learn through osmosis you start doing it and we always used to converse about subscription models so this yeah. was before everybody started offering memberships and yeah. and stuff like that um but membership offers and subscription models is a, a big part of you know the business model and he we always used to talk about it and he'd be like you know I can never see you having being able to offer like a a membership or a subscription or something like that so ingrained in like you're so intensive and you're so ingrained with what you do with people and you're so high touch I can't see how you would ever transform your business to be able to offer it to more people you know, in, in that kind of community, in that essentially in that community kind of fashion. Yeah. And so I always think about it now because that's essentially what our community is. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, your, that's exactly, exactly what you are. Like I, for the listeners, some of my first exposures to Kelly Irving, the expert author academy, you hook up into this um, 
community video, whether through Zoom or whatever medium Kelly uses. Um, and sometimes there could be 50 people on that meeting, all sharing their own experiences and and understandings and advice led by Kelly and whoever the guest presenter is that day. So it's um it's definitely a subscription thing. Um, and you know, what a challenge that he said to you. I can't see you ever doing it. And you, you probably in your back of your mind, well, watch me. I will. <laughs> <laughs> You're quite um, modest and humble yourself, is what, which is what you led with, is um, what, what you believe a leader should be. Um, so you sell yourself short as being, oh, I just come from education. I helped other people write their stuff so it made sense. And then I was a travel journalist, which is nothing special. And then someone said that they needed a bit of help. So I said I'd help them and it worked. When I get some guests, and I'm a little bit nervous today interviewing you because you're, you're, um, you're pretty successful at what you do, you must come across some authors that you think, oh, my God, how can I even help this brainiac smart person? You know, how will they ever listen to me? Do, do you have those moments? Oh, that's a really good one. That sort of relates to, I can't remember what I was talking about before. Maybe it was at the start when I was talking about ego. No, I kind of don't. And I think the thing is because, I mean, sure, I've probably had, I must have come across one or two, right, where I've definitely had interactions with people and thought, mm, they're not, we're not the right fit. Yeah. Um, regardless of what they do, what the topic is, etc., is something in the personality. Yeah. So for me, it's all about people. Yeah. It is about, and I think it is that are you coachable thing. A lot of people talk about are you coachable. So for me, the best people to work with are actually the people who come to me, and they're like, I've got no idea what I'm doing. I'm kind of like putty in your hands. Yeah. Yeah. And they're willing to learn, and they're open and vulnerable about that from the get-go. I was saying this to someone the other day. So I think of Mark Berridge. For yeah, a yeah. Example, right? a, beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful He's man. He's a really good example. Yeah. Like yeah. he really was like, I don't I don't think I can do this. I don't know if I can do it, you know. And even when he started, you know, in our community, he was still really hesitant mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. his ability to do this. And yet, look at what he's created as a result. Uh, a now, man. for me, red flags with people are actually people who come to me and they're like, yep, I'm ready. I've got all this time in my diary. This I, I want to do this in like four months. I know I can do this. I really want to work with you. I'm really willing to put down all this money with you today to like start tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. I can guarantee you they're always the people that don't do the work. Okay, yeah. So the people so who almost have that that look uh, this is a really uncomfortable seat so that vulnerability piece that you talked about this is a really uncomfortable place for me to be in i don't have much experience in this i'm very experienced at what i do but i don't know how to turn that into writing they're usually the people who take to it not like yeah. a duck to water but i think they're willing to put in the effort maybe to learn to try something else, be shaped, be moulded, and then they're really surprised by what they achieve as a what result. Well, most, um, uh, you know, again, on this on this series, most leaders, most of the beautiful leaders that we meet, they talk about a level of curiosity and a bit of yeah. humility. And we, you know, the authentic leader doesn't know everything, so they seek out people that do. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, but kind of, you're you're helping that. So let me um, ask you this question in uh, the way you answered that. Are you um, comfortable in saying this is not a good fit? Perhaps you should find someone else? Yes, I'm pretty comfortable. <laughs> well, thanks, yeah. I, think, I think there's no, it's interesting. I don't think I would ever reject someone based on their topic or what they're writing about or definitely not like and it's interesting a lot of uh, you know when you go to an editor normally they'll look at or want to see proof of your writing but I pretty much don't need to see writing yeah yeah it just it, it's not about the writing like yes does it help if you you know a pretty clear communicator a writer sure definitely some people you know that will you might write you write faster or whatever you can see the difference but you don't have to be a good writer to write a book you just need to have good ideas and then learn how to shape and structure those ideas and I think the rest can come so I don't have any qualms in telling people look I I don't think that we're the right fit um, especially if um, you know when it comes to like deeper one-on-one -on -one work where I'm going to work really intensely with someone that's really got to be the right fit and I think um, you know where a lot of people go wrong with my work is they ex they may expect that I'm going to do all the work for them you know yeah, like a yeah. ghostwriter so you're going yeah, to hire yeah. someone to do the work and I'm very clear up front in saying I'm not going to do the work for you I'm going to show up as much as you yeah. So whatever you put in is what I can match. Yeah. So it's really reliant on that person then. Um, you know, I can't work with nothing and I'm not going to work with nothing. And I, th I think it's just being clear about that from the outset. So, so I know I'm not going to be, you know, likewise the other way around. I know I'm not going to be right for everyone. But I think you get, I, I guess you get known, don't you, as, it's kind of like that, you know, your reputation kind of precedes you and what, you know, and, and a lot of my work and how I've grown my business has been based on referrals. Yes. It really is other people talking about me um, and people coming out of the woodwork, you know. Uh, actually, I think someone reached out to me the other day. Oh, Alan, Alan <laughs> recommended I get in touch with you. You know, it's all that kind of yeah. stuff that without you knowing. Yeah. And I have actually, you know, in the past, like I'm not, I'm, I haven't been afraid to, call it quits mm. it's very rare but there have been a couple of instances where the relationship is not working and yeah. and I'm dragging them along and they're in worlds of pain and it's no fun for me so I, I I'm I don't mind by saying look this isn't working I think you'd be better off doing xyz and maybe making an introduction uh, to someone else I might help you here a little bit um just to give the level of connection and your ability to work with different people. So if I can think of, as I'm looking at the book behind it right, right now, um, so you've got David Knott, the, the Australian leader of the Antarctic expedition. So that's someone with some pretty serious skills. And he was, a, in his interview, he, he was an ex-Department um, of Foreign Affairs guy that worked in Pakistan in the, in the, for, in the, in the Gulf conflict. So incredible skills. So you you turned his book in from what you said is probably the the, the one of the most um, well known books. The other book behind you there is Survivor. That's Mark Wales. That's a special. Yeah. Uh, that's a um, special forces Australian soldier with some incredible incredible skills. And you helped him write his book. You got um, 
Mark Berry's the other guy that's the, a fraction stronger. And I can't believe he was the first guy that I spoke to um, at, at your referral about whether I should write a book or not. He's the most humblest guy in the world. He's he's a international level negotiator with Rio Tinto. Mm. Um, that's serious. And then the other guy you put me in contact is um, Peter Scott, the the Commodore of the Australian Submarine Fleet. So <laughs> so it kind of says volumes about. But you can you can uh, relate and connect with anyone to create a beautiful product at the end. It's pretty. That's a pretty special skill. <laughs> so. Um, so let's um, let's have a look at some of this other stuff then. Um, as a as a travel journalist, what was one experience out of that that you think probably taken you into who you are today? Oh, good question. Look, I think there's a whole bunch of stuff. Like I specialised in adventure travel. Okay. Well. So. And I guess that's a good example because even today when, you know, I live in a little surf town, there's like 3,000 people here. Mm. Um, and I think it's, you know, e easy. You know, there's a lot of people here. My friends probably don't know my background that well. So I remember talking to someone that wasn't that long ago and they discovered that I was a travel writer and stuff like that. And then they were like, so it says a surfing friend. And then she made the connection because when I was talking about, why I did adventure travel um, and for me it's that comfort piece or getting out of your comfort zone so I remember one trip in South Africa it was like pretty much from the day dot that you landed every day you do a different bungee jump <laughs> it was wow. like the they had a bungee swing that goes across the stadium that was like day one it's like getting off the plane going and doing that, it was freezing cold, it was raining, I'm not really that great with heights. And then the next day you sort of travelled up the coast a bit and we did like the world's um, highest gorge swing and it's very oh. like strap you on the back and you jump like a base jumper. Uh, it's like the closest thing you'll ever get to flying. So every day there was something different. Dear, and I remember like, I was saying this to my friend, she's like, and then she was also like oh that makes total sense like when I watch you surfing because I'm kind of known for going for the bigger waves everybody will sort of wait for the smaller waves and the bomb will come and they'll be like hell you're up yeah. <laughs> but it's not a natural thing for me I feel like it's not a natural tendency for me to be a adrenaline junkie or anything like that part of it I think what I've learned from being an introvert, from being probably naturally quite a quieter, you know, a reader and, and things like that is you have to, you have to get out of your comfort zone to be willing to push yourself to better yourself in a way. And I think that's what I learned from a lot of my travel experiences was doesn't matter if you do or don't want to do it, you just do it you give it a go so I've done yeah I've done all those kinds of trips I did a 10-day motorcycling trip through Nepal and Tibet and things like that so it was always like go for the unusual go for something that just wouldn't be in your hemisphere wow. or on your list that you'd never kind of imagined and I think that's that's still something that I sort of take into experiences like today well well well, that, that makes you, um, how many kids have you got now? I've got two. Okay. How old are they now? Uh, four and eight. Okay. 
that makes you a pretty special parent what you just come out with then you know get out of your comfort zone um have a go better to better yourself give it a go um uh, and I, what i love i love about your story because you never know as you say where this is going to go so kelly irving the the person that that can tell the submarine captain and all these other you know special force and soldier how to write you know influence them how to write their book um started off as the little, little introvert nerd in the in the library at school <laughs> re, re, reading their books um which is the is the quintessential and it's a wrong it's a wrong label but people say that's that's a nerd uh, but it's not i think it's a pretty special skill to have look what look at what look how you transformed that did you um, so so some people say and i don't know who said this but um reading a book is like living a different life every page or something like that yeah Ooh, did, I like that. yeah do you um did you get did you get this need to get out of your comfort zone from your reading do you think um yeah i don't know i don't know if it was imagine so reading for me is actually really relaxing yeah. and there's a big reason why like i don't work in fiction i only work in non-fiction and that's because fiction's my playground yeah and i read a hell of a lot of books and at night i won't read non-fiction i'll read fiction and one of the reasons why is because it gets me out of my head it's relaxing it's my escape route it's an escape into it, they're like portals really in yeah, yeah, different yeah. universes into different lifestyles um that's where i get my fix so which is you know for some people that's why they watch netflix or binge watch shows on netflix whereas for me i find that too stimulating for my brain and i won't switch off and go to sleep whereas with a book uh i think there's a lot more that's left up to your own imagination maybe yeah, yeah. um so you get the same the same effect without all that dopamine and the adrenaline and you you, you can sort of like i'm a really big person like i could just sit and watch look out the window you know like that's that's actually pretty relaxing for me just being able to sit and daydream out of the window um but i think one thing that I've come to see with books, whether it's fiction, non-fiction, whatever, I feel like a word to sum up, you know, our interest in it is because it's about a sense of belonging. Yeah. We are deeper, we, we're deeply connected to each other when we read stories. And even in fiction books, you know, they're based on, characters are based on Yes. real people yes. and influences yeah. that they know and things like that so that it's a different take on reality and i think we're all searching for that affinity and that sense of yeah that sense of belonging whether it's non-fiction or fiction it, i think it creates that connection to other human beings that you can't get anywhere else uh, on a much deeper level there's something really personal and deep about words they transcend you know, yes, you can connect like we're doing, you know, face to face or online and things like that. But there's there's something different about words and being cemented in words. You know, it's why we keep books. It's why you know, look, you're looking at my bookshelf. It's why we don't actually throw books away. We keep them. Yeah, we do, don't we? Yeah, yeah. You're um, um, collectors of them. Wow. Well, you know, um, 
Again, this is unscripted, but what a fantastic answer. Because <laughs> um, uh, I, I kind of do believe that, you know, humans, we have, we only thrive when we when we make a connection. Um, and you you just kind of, um, you just tied in your first answer about, I was the, I was the kid that uh, went to the library, um, the introvert, and you just tied that into your life now, really. Like you read every night to, to have that connection with how other people think, whoever yeah. that other whoever whoever that other person is. What a beautiful answer. Um, there's so many more things I could go in, but I, I, I think you're kind of on fire a little bit. So let's um, a question that I normally ask an author, and I'm just trying to think how I answer it to you because you're a person who who creates authors really and supports authors. But so a question I ask an author is, um, what's something from your book that you learn about yourself? So if if I it's kind of you. you what, what's something about your business in creating and supporting authors? What have you learned about yourself in this journey? Oh, I'm learning about myself every single day. And I think that's one thing that I do feed back into the community. I don't have all the answers. <laughs> and I'm kind of not winging it, but I'm testing and trialing things in the community all the time mm. and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't but I'm always listening I mean I, I've learned a hell of a lot about listening from Oscar Trimboli and I think I mean it's a, a, a bit of a deviation from the question Alan but I, I think the thing to remember with the community and the thing that I sort of talk to people about is I didn't actually set out to create a community that was never my intention. I didn't go, this is this is how I see it's working and this is what I'm going to do. What you see and experience now has actually been an organic thing that I've created from working with people in one way, shape or another, and then shaping it accordingly to listening to them and seeing what's working and where their needs are. And I think this is a really big thing. And so what you think people need is really different to what they actually need and want sometimes. Um, and I think we can, it's the same as, uh, you know, when I talk about in, in book work, right, it's really easy to sell people on how you solve an issue or how you do something. But there's something deeper in terms of understanding where people are at and why where their real issue is and how they feel in those moments. And so everything and, and where we're at now with the group, you know, it was never designed, there's never been like a roadmap and this is the way it's going to work. It's I'm always constantly testing and listening and going, oh, people need this. So I wonder what would happen if I paired people up into focus mm. And they had two other three people. So they're getting that small group accountability, subjective to me. They can create deeper connection. What would happen if I do that? So then I just do it and trial it and see how it, you know, takes off and what people say from it. So I, th I think, you know, what I've learned, um, that I learn from everybody in there and everyone that I work with every single day. And, and I think that's a big part of it. You... But I'm totally imperfect, but I'm also really big on what you see is what you get with me. And this came up in a conversation the other day because we were talking about like branding, some things I was talking about branding and branding photos. And they said, you know, oh, 
why don't you get some more done? And I'm like, yeah, I kind of do need more photos, but, you know, it's such a low priority item for me because what impact does that actually have? Like mm. I remember getting some feedback from, from someone early on that was, I think it was, this was before our community was on that community platform on Circle. I think I was doing like stuff on Facebook or something. And, you know, she made a comment about, so this is someone who's used to delivering in corporates. So they have to, she has to put on a suit or and some heels and go into a corporate. And there's a certain way you've got to present yourself when you're talking to, mm. to, to that kind of audience. And so she'd made a comment, you know, not a bad comment, but it was was some feedback about, you know, my videos could be, I'm paraphrasing, but my videos could be more professional or yeah, you know, yeah. like that in terms of that audience. And, uh, you know, I love this quote from Oscar, actually. He's always about, you know, all feedback is valid, not all of it is useful. Yeah. And I sat with that for quite a while. You know, it's sort of something you're like, oh, usually you'd be like, oh, maybe I need to like, you know, be a bit more professional and stuff like that. And I was like, well, no, because that's actually why I do what I do in this way, because you need to know that writing isn't a chore. You need to feel yourself to turn up at a laptop, not with your suit and tie on. And I want people to feel a deep connection to me and trust me. And I really hate it in photos when you look at the photo and then you meet the person and they don't really look alike. Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, okay. And you kind of feel a little bit of a disconnect. Whereas, you know, people meet me in person and they're like, oh, you look exactly like yeah, yeah, you, look yeah. at you. you look exactly like you do in your in in your videos. So it's it doesn't matter if I'm and because a lot of my work is done online over over Zoom, it almost doesn't matter when people meet me. It's like it is what you see is what you get and yeah. people feel that that level of comfort. And I think that's a big part of it. And, and what you're probably touching on, Alan, is you have to be true. You have to be you and the polished version of you. People don't want that. It, does, it no. just doesn't work in terms of that connection piece. No. You know, really deeply trust people. You've got to understand that they're human beings yes, and that they're going to get stuff wrong. Yes. But they have the greater good in mind it's just that you know you're going to test things out and it might not work and then you can trial it a different way so I think in terms of being a better me has always been about not being afraid to trial something and it might not go right straight away but as long as you can justify and you have your reasons behind it I, I think that's that's okay and that's a big part of being a better you is always just wanting to improve just that one percent yeah what a beautiful answer and it's um you think about some of the major issues in the world today the you know the some of the the reasons they don't progress is people are always trying for perfect but you've just said it in you flipped it on its head what if we just improve one percent every day <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you get there pretty quick. Um, yeah. So so that's a pretty, pretty great answer. So the other question I ask authors is, um, and I think you've pretty well answered it, but maybe you might just take it a different direction. Um, in So I normally ask an author, what do you want the reader to take away? So for you, I suppose, what do you want the people you empower to become authors to take away from working with me or? yeah 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 um yeah i think the 
thing for me is that that level of comfort. You know, people like like what you mentioned when you mentioned Mark, Peter, yourself, all these people that I've worked with. You know, Mark Wells who's been on TV. You know, stuff like that. Like to be able to feel comfortable with me and to put um, your trust in me, like that's pivotal. And that I, I think that's why all of my authors in whatever capacity they work with me always end up as friends. Yes, yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's, um, it's a relationship yeah. that you're building and, and it does take deep trust with someone to share vulnerable parts of yourself and share writing, which is can be a vulnerable space to play in. So you have to you have to um, feel that level of comfort and trust in somebody else to be able to get that objective point of view and that feedback. Beautiful, beautiful. And so this is why I think I told you that um, uh, most, and this is, I'll get, I'll get bashed up over this, this comment, but most women can wind this interview up in an hour. Most blokes, um, <laughs> most men keep on going for an hour, an hour and a half, uh, two, hour, two hours. Um, you just nailed it. I, I, I'm going to wind it up because you've nailed it. I, I really, I've run, I've run out of things to really ask you. But I'll, this is the final question I always ask people such as yourself, uh, leaders who empower others to create supportive and inclusive in your place communities. Um, if someone else was going to embark on the Kelly Irving journey, what would your advice be? Don't be afraid to give it a go. Don't be afraid for it to look quite different to what your expectations are. Yes, yes. But understand that there's always support at every step and always someone you can call on for help. It does require a lot of trust. But also I think that's where the beauty is, you know, in something challenging like this. If you don't push yourself out of the comfort zone, I think the question is, will you look back and always regret it? Yes, that's a pretty, that's that's the man in the arena thing, isn't it? Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah that's pretty good. You nailed it, Kelly. Um, I think I'm going to leave it th at that. Thank you so much. I think this definitely went in different directions than I thought it would. Um, I think we got to know, I think the whole audience just formed a beautiful relationship with Kelly Irving um, and, wanna, and will want to know you more because there's some pretty outstanding stuff in this interview. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Courage to Lead interview series and we wish you well and look forward to hear, seeing some of your um, next authors and for those of you out there if you just go if you look up the expert author academy online um you will see what kelly's all about and the volume of authors you probably authors that you know that are already out there so thank you so much but you're next alan let's not forget <laughs> that <laughs> it's not far away yeah yeah, yeah. a humble plug for alan too you are next my friend <laughs> <laughs> thank you all right i'll leave it at that thank you very much Thanks, Alan. Well, how good was that? I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And I'll just summarise the final three points that Kelly shared with us. Number one, don't be afraid to give it a go. Point two, don't be afraid for it to look quite different to what your expectations were going in. But understand, there's always support at every step. And number three, 
True success does require a lot of trust, but that is where the beauty is. If you don't push yourself out of your comfort zone, you'll look back and always regret it. Until next time, thank you for listening.